0: you're listening to the main course where food is serious business listen along for insights strategies forecasts and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host barbara castiglia
1: welcome to the main course i'm barbara castiglia of modern restaurant management and today we're going to talk about culinary education and what are some trends going on um, how people are learning and of how the pandemic Kind of um changed um how culinary education is right now um and with me is ken rubin who's the chief culinary officer at ruby so welcome ken so um you know for people not familiar please you know just tell me what ruby is
0: well thanks for having me barbara it's really uh, nice to be with you today um so ruby is a 17 year old company we've only been online uh since we started I joined about ten years ago, and we really focus on um, online training. And we have a, a very um, strong uh, area of focus and expertise in the culinary space and the hospitality space. And that's really been kind of the um, kind of the the overarching, you know, kind of frame for our, our company around industry. But really, we're a we're a technology company that focuses on on competency based learning and really trying to democratize and level the playing field in terms of access for quality instruction. So, you know, while we serve the culinary industries, we also just think about learning and, you know, training more generally in terms of how people access it, uh, what it's worth, how those skills become transferable and those those sorts of other questions.
1: 17 years. That's a long time, you know, and thinking back like just the idea of learning culinary skills, which, you know, are a lot are things learned in, you know, the back of the house where you're sitting there chopping an onion thousands and thousands of times. Yeah. You know, and translating those to, you know, to online. But, you know, we've seen it time and time again. How many things do people watch on YouTube? That they're, you know, how to tie a tie, you know, all of these things. So people are, you know, what what kind of have you seen, you know, in you know, you've been there ten years, you know, the how people have, um, you know, drawn to this more than probably at the beginning, there was probably a lot of people like, this is not going to work.
0: Yeah. How do you Um, do that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. How is this going to work?
1: It's something that's so tactile and how do you, how do you teach this, these particular skill sets, you know, online?
0: Yeah. It's, it's the question that when I joined, I was really committed to to tackling because that's the first thing people think of especially 10 years ago when the on the online learning space was so different and just the notion of learning almost anything online was kind of novel still especially something as tactile as sense-based as something like cooking um but you know our team at the core were were made up of chefs chef educators and we kind of took this approach where we knew what worked in the industry from a training point of view we know Really deeply, what works in professional chef schools. Many people on my team uh, came from running professional chef schools, um, and it was really this idea of um, of taking online as a as a platform, but still empowering those learners, you know, those aspiring cooks, to create a context where they're still cooking and practicing and doing all those skills just in their own home kitchen. Um, so we never say that you're going to learn what you need to learn by watching the video. You know, you're going to watch a video. You're going to actually do some practice activities. Those practice activities are going to be assessed by my team of chefs. So we actually have photographic evidence of your ability to do a certain task or series of tasks. And then a lot of the additional learning comes in the engagement and the relationship that our team provides to our learners. So you know, when I started doing this work online years and years ago, there was kind of a assumption that online learning was really about uh, novel ways of delivering content online to make you kind of stay on the screen. And if you were gonna, uh, you know, do it well, it was all about having awesome video and a cool interface and that sort of thing. And that that's important. And a lot of the work at Ruby that we did early on really kind of set the stage in terms of video, in terms of close up, and cooking from a first person perspective, not like you're watching food TV, but you're the one cooking, and focusing on technique, really. Frankly, we never really had the celebrity chef or the talking head or those sorts of things. Uh, so for us, it was really about this this notion of not just content delivery, but what are all those things that uh, a young cook, an aspiring culinarian might need to know, or ask, or feel, or do, or react to <laughs> that we couldn't do just through the the one way, you know, give them the, the best content. And that really came with our learning management system over years and years being matured, so that becomes more of an engagement interaction tool that adds value along the way. So that learner, um, you know, even though a learner might be in the same program with you know her or his other cohorts in their employer group or their classroom or whatever it might be every learner really learns at a different pace and for different reasons they bring different strengths to the table so this really allowed us um instead of just having it be a transactional experience online it created for us the context for the learning to be very relational so that my chef instructors get to know our students because they have in some cases dozens of dozens of very deep Assessments and assignments and activities where they take you into their home kitchen, to their home country, and they explain, like, this is how I did this. This is why. Here's what my barrier was to doing it a different way. Here's how I would do it differently next time. Or here's how I might do it in a different season or for a different audience. And uh, we just find this amazing um, uncovering that, you know, really not. All online learners want the same type of experience. Some want that quick fix, you know, the, the, the two minute video or the 10 second video or whatever it might be. And that's great. But our, our learners, um, tend to engage with us over weeks or months or even longer in, in some cases. And, um, that's the thing that also gives us just a lot of satisfaction because, like I said before, we all come in our, in our company, we all come from the hospitality and the culinary and the food world. So, we want that. (laughs) We want and need that human component. Um, It's also what verifies and validates that what we're doing is actually working.
1: So let's backflip and talk about, you know, your background of where you come from. And, um, you know, what was it about this opportunity that really excited you and wanted you to, and, and you saw where it could go?
0: Yeah. So You know, when I joined Ruby 10 years ago, I had been, um, in the brick and mortar professional chef school world. I'd been opening and running professional schools, um, Le Cordon Bleu and the Art Institute. And then I made the move into doing some work in the health supportive and the plant based professional chef space. Um, and I had had interaction with the team at Ruby, the founders, Joe and Dawn, you know, were early pioneers in just beautiful video production and really having a, a, a good, structure around pedagogy and measuring the rate of learning. And some of the early work that they did um, you know, was intriguing to me. Uh, and when I got a chance to kind of join the team and head up some of the big initiatives around activating our learning management system, taking it from you know, what was very small modular type learning and building out these long format courses and building out our plant-based portfolio and doing those things. Uh, For me, the attraction was really meeting more people and um, providing more access at a different price point and for different expectations of what that learner needed or wanted. Um, And that had really come out of, you know, a lot of my experiences in the industry where there was um, just a lot of elitism and a lot of barriers that were put in place for people who wanted to learn. It was kind of assumed that you had to go to one of the, one of the top culinary schools, and you had to spend $40,000, $100,000 or more. And that was the only pathway to be successful. And while I think that those are great options for some people, it's just not what the industry needs in terms of the hundreds of thousands of jobs that are open and the types of skills that are needed, and then the level of investment or input that those individuals ought to make to get there. It's hard to tell someone, you know, go spend 50 grand in two years so you can get a $14 an hour job when it's likely that a person who doesn't have that debt can also work really hard and learn a few things and get that same job and also excel. Um, So that's the reality of of the industry. And while I think that the industry has been negatively impacted by many of those top tier schools closing, I think that's where organizations like Ruby and others um, who are creative (laughs) and thinking about, you know, solutions versus replicating the old model and trying to, you know, force it into the current situation. That's, that's where we're going to have the most impact. Um, and I, I firmly believe that the industry, um, especially coming out of COVID has so much opportunity to, to redefine itself and to embrace workers and kind of what the labor pool looks like from a much different perspective. And even embrace, and this is where a lot of Ruby's energy goes towards, embraces this idea of, how do we really redefine the context of learning to put more um, you know, more of the, the impetus around that on the employer and the employer really supporting learners as they join their team. And it's like a learn while you work approach versus like, go to school absent of work and then all of a sudden be dropped into a job and be expecting to perform. So I think these hybrid programs, these blended programs, um, high school to work um, are all really interesting because they speak more to um, what what people want today in terms of that, that relationship.
1: So if I was a person who's interested in you know beginning the process of learning how to be a chef, and looking at the Ruby platform, what is kind of the coursework and uh, and the way that it would go for me to, to just kind of begin this mm-hmm. process?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So there's, I would say, two primary channels that people who are wanting to learn how to cook um, can really use Ruby. One is through our more direct-to-consumer type courses. So our professional cook certification, our plant-based professional certification, which are both... You know, long format, six nine month type courses um, that culminate in uh, credit with the American Culinary Federation, or even potentially college credit, and you know, lots of other type of coursework. Those are in the call it two hundred hours or so type learning, where there's um, a lot of instruction at home, and I'll dig deeper into what that what that looks like. You know, but um, just kind of high level, a lot of instruction at home, and then a lot of that feedback that I spoke to earlier. The other channel that we see a lot of our learners is through that employer uh, channel, where the employer brings a a new cook onto a team and they give her, um, you know, a foundations type training program to get started on the job. You know, maybe she has limited skills. She's, you know, worked a quick service restaurant, um, but doesn't have the skills to do uh, plating or Egg cookery, or whatever it might be, and the employer would identify those things and say, "Hey, like we have this program, and if you jump into it, um, we can kind of monitor your progress, and we can track your work, and you can get accolades and success." And employers build programs where people come in as as you know uh, as as a cook, and then they can maybe progress up uh, um, and kind of you know level up in some ways and. The skills that we can offer through that employer-led program, um, you know, not only help that person at that job, but because the Ruby learning and the, the certification and the credential that you see you, you receive is transferable, it gives that person currency. It gives that person something they can take with them uh, if and when they leave that that job, and it's a major way that we've seen employers in particular with COVID and the pandemic and the, the huge labor issues that we're, that we're facing, it's giving those employers a way to bring people in to say, hey, like it used to be we needed you to know something when you showed up. Now we're going to actually take you if you want to learn and we're going to give you these tools and we're going to you know kind of bring you into the fold via this online program that is cost effective and, you know, very much not punitive in tone. (laughs) So it doesn't bring you in with a lot of pressure and these sorts of things. And that's been really effective. So those, those are primarily the, the two ways that people come in. Um, Now, if you're in an employer-based program, the way that that online system works is it has, you know, heavy admin with HR and tracking and competency goals and all those sorts of things that you're able to monitor and see like, who's done what and when and at what level and those sorts of things, um, as well as a component of uh, those people on the ground. So like the sous chef, say, at a, at a hotel who might be the admin in our system doing the role of some of the evaluation of the program. So a student might be learning online um, you know, in the morning or on the way to work. And then that sous chef, that admin would say, hey, like let's do a, a competency check about um, how to safely hold a knife, right? And we're going to just, just the same way you would do it on the job visually, you're going to do it, but you're going to essentially track it and record it via the Ruby platform. Um, and a lot of learning and development teams love that because they can say, you know, here's the five most important competencies for our team right now, and they can apply the same measure and the same tool to all the people without bias or without, you know whatever might happen in kitchens in real life
1: so how do you work with your clients to kind of personalize these programs to meet those needs and kind of identify what those points are that are the most that matter the most to them at that time
0: yeah and that's another great question so most of our partners have multiple needs so they can almost say oh we have certain employees um, in this type of restaurant or in this type of facility who need these skills we have other people who probably already have those skills and need these other skills. So our programs are really designed to be very much based on kind of the broad base of foundations and the fundamentals that you see across kitchens. It's very technique based versus recipe based, which allows us to work in multiple markets and multiple types of establishments, whether it's fine dining or hotels or assisted living or campus dining or all these other different, um, segments that we, that we work in. Um, so we, when we work with our partners, many of them just say, give us the whole package. We want the whole enterprise level foundations program. It's over a hundred hours of total learning, knowing full well that they're probably only going to assign a portion of that to most of their employees, right? Most of their employees are going to do five, 10, 20 hours total over the course of some number of weeks or months, but many companies say, you know, that's great. We have our initial kind of training needs, but we're going to use Ruby as a ongoing development tool and as a, a as a tool that's going to really kind of foster additional um, interest and use as a resource so that people really have a much larger library that they can access. Right. Um, so we'll help a partner create pathways. And we do that a lot with different partners who say like, we really need to know like how would you map out a person who's you know, uh, a breakfast cook, and we'll say, hey, here's the five main units that we would recommend for a breakfast cook. But if your business also does its own bake shop, you might do this little intro to baking or some other thing like that. If you don't do that, well, don't do that unit, right? Um, so that can provide them essentially a key <laughs> that they can then assign out to their team so that when they're facing this huge program, right, over 100 hours, they're not going, oh my gosh, like, which <laughs> which module do I do? Which one do I do, right? But, um, but ultimately, those employers, their needs change sometimes quickly, their staffing situation changes. And um, like we saw with COVID, sometimes the whole model changes. And that's part of why we like to give our partners the flexibility with that larger foundations package. Oftentimes, they come to us with a certain set of ideas, and that's great. But then they also realize, well, what are all the other use cases that we could use this? Right, and right. let's not cut anyone out by creating a program that's too specific to just one thing.
1: So let's talk a little bit about your pandemic experience, because I would imagine that people were seeking you out. That you know, all of that. We're, well, we're, we have time. We're going to have people home. We still want them, you know, to be engaged and enthusiastic and and keep those fundamentals, you know, and and just keep that uh, kind of like asserting that training process. Um, You know, so what, what was your experience like? And, you know, what did you, what did you hear from your partners about what was, what was going on and what were, what, how their needs changed?
0: Yeah. I mean, it varied so much by what segment. So our hotel partners were definitely the first to be hit. And in some cases, the hardest hit, uh, we work internationally, so we have large um, hospitality clients like Marriott International. We have close to 700 hotels that we work with, with with that with their multiple brands, lots of other international brands. So once we started hearing things, really in February uh, 2020, about what was going on in 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 Asia, parts of China where we have you know hotels that we service we we began to see pretty quickly what was what was cascading through. Um, other areas of our business like assisted living um you know stayed very strong through the pandemic in terms of numbers because there was never a a stop in the need for people to be cooking and working in those facilities. There wasn't a choice. Um, similar with a lot of our university and campus dining programs, there were still Students who needed to be fed, they just were living in dorms and going to school online from their dorm room in many cases. So we were seeing all these different permutations. Um, You know, one of the hardest things for us as a company was, you know, again, because many of us were working chefs and we came from the industry, was just the, you know, the feeling that we were having during the pandemic, the ups and downs and just the feeling of devastation that so many of our partners were experiencing where we would um, just be really saddened by the conversations that we were having because there was a sense of, well, it's not even that we're not sure of the future. (laughs) It's that like all the things that it might be are all negative, like there's no, there's nothing really great happening out of this. And it was too early, especially at the beginning to be able to see any inkling of like, how would we use this experience to change things for the better, right? They were, everyone's still focused on putting out the fire there was no sense of you know what can we learn from this at that point I think that we're coming into that phase more strongly now for sure where there's some lessons learned and there's some things we can act on more definitively I feel like but um, you know for us it was just a matter of managing those partners and being really understanding you know not not billing people not not doing all those things that in a, in a normal business cycle we would do it's like we're not going to charge people who don't really use the program because they can't, they've lost half their team or more than half of their team. Um, So we, we rolled out a number of free programs. We rolled out a, uh, a free quick start program, which was like a, a 10 hour program uh, for basic, basic cooking skills designed to get someone who's never held a knife to come in off the street and, you know, look for a job within the culinary space. We also offered a free, um, Food safety course, right when COVID hit, that had kind of some of the early recommendations around safety um, around COVID, um, which was really, I think, important for us to begin to work on early. Um, and then, more than anything, we just really worked with our partners to see how we could serve them. Um, because we had always been online and only been online as a company we're dispersed. We don't have a headquarters. We don't have a big building that, right. that we have. So we all had Zoom accounts. We're all already used to working this way. We're in seven states and two provinces up in Canada. So this is the way we've always worked. So that was a benefit to us is we didn't see a disruption in how we operated. Um, this had been normal for us in terms of being online first from that perspective. And that, that was a huge benefit to us because we didn't have to work out internal systems in our company of how do you work online? How do you do meetings online? That's, that was in our DNA. It's all we ever knew, um, as, as a company. So that, that was really, really beneficial. And I think it probably gave some of our partners some confidence in us because we were able to, like, it wasn't a question about timing or execution or any of these things because we had never, we had never known it any other way. Right. Right. So, a matter of like, oh, well, how long does it take to do this? Can we do it without meeting in person? Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We don't ever like hardly ever meet in person to do these things anyway. So um, that worked out really, really well.
1: So, you know, you're talking about, you know, being online and how you're kind of really a front runner of, of all of that. So who, who's your competition? Is there anybody in the same space doing what you're doing? Um, or do you also look at it as your competition as, you know, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the day-to-day culinary schools where people are, are you know, on, on a campus or going to classes, um, you know, who who is your competition?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I'm not sure we have, I mean, there's certainly a lot that competes with eyeballs to get people into a space. So someone who's sitting there saying, gosh, I want to learn something about cooking. There's many, many options, right? Everything from on to Instagram or TikTok and getting a quick video to searching around YouTube. There's certainly online places that have Zoom classes and all these other sorts of things. Um, But when I think about what we do and our price point and how we work with enterprise, I don't really think uh, in terms of like who are the big competitors out there. I think more about larger market forces. I think about larger trends that impact People's ability to um, have you know opportunities online, or what employers are doing in terms of programming and reimbursement, and you know policy related to uh, questions of employment or employability and these sorts of things. But I don't I don't think about competition like um, we're up against you know company X trying to compete for the same for the same dollars. Our price point, even with our professional courses is you know a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars. So we're just in a different price range on the very, very low end compared to lots of other structured online type options that are out there. Um, and in part because it serves the needs of the audience that we're working with. Um, again, there's still, I think, a huge need and great opportunity for those longer format, you know, higher tier culinary schools. Um, probably now more than ever, frankly, because there's more differentiation to have them serve as leaders. But with that on their end comes a responsibility to really provide uh, that super premium offering and all those other things that come with that with that price tag.
1: So, what would you say are some of like the key advantages of online learning? You know, particularly in the in the culinary space. You know, off the top of my head, I'm thinking, well, I could watch this over and over again, and it's not like just you know, making sure I got my notes down that time, I, you know, so it could kind of instill things in people a little bit easier. But what are some other things that you think are really where online education has an advantage in the culinary space?
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, the example you gave of being able to watch something multiple times, and also with a lot of clarity with the best angle is super important. When I was a professional chef instructor and running professional culinary schools, you know, there's it's huge effort and attention put into, well, how do we design the teaching kitchen so that students can gather around and look at a screen or a mirror and watch everything? <laughs> Who's going to get the best angle? And all that's important. But if you blink and you miss that technique where the chef you know, did the flick of the knife, and that's where the magic happened on that process, Like, well, you missed it. right? The chef can't go and do it again necessarily. Sometimes, but she or he couldn't necessarily do it again. With online learning, you can watch it again and again. You can watch it with the best possible view—an overhead view, a side view—at a, a fraction of the speed. Um, all those things really, from a visual perspective, add um, a lot of, you know, kind of, you know, value to that learning process. We can also take a lot of the the dead weight and dead time out of what would normally be a long culinary demo, and make it more concise give multiple types of examples, um, show what went wrong, what went right. And, you know, you don't have to stand there while the water is boiling, so to speak, right? So you can get to the action quicker. Um, you know, one of the things that we've seen is a huge benefit as well is the ability to have this deep engagement and interaction online. In professional chef schools, there's often a sense of, Gosh, I don't want to speak up. I don't want to ask that question. I'll sound stupid in front of my coworkers or my my classmates. Um, or I know I should know that, so I don't want to ask that. And there's a, more of a punitive, I think, approach to some of those schools where it's highly competitive and it's just a different environment. Ruby and online, I think, create the space to have, you know, again, depending on how it's run, a much more nurturing, um, forgiving type approach where a person doesn't feel scared to ask a question that the responsiveness for my team and my chefs is really a lot more about nurturing them and fostering a better sense of direction or how to get help or how to frame it and those sorts of things and what we get from students is just like a big sigh of relief like wow i i didn't think i could do this because i didn't get it right the first time and instead of like being mad, we're letting them do it again. We're helping them along. We're giving them another way to try it. We're um, just providing a little bit of a different experience for them um, that still feels connected. Um, Of course, learning at your own pace, learning where you are versus having to go someplace else, cost, um, all those things make a big difference. Uh, With our enterprise programming, I would say one of the big pieces of feedback that also is particularly useful for workers on the online side is that our uh, foundation's enterprise program that we offer is in five different languages. So for a learner who might speak um, Mandarin or Arabic or Spanish or French as their native language and might not be as comfortable learning in English, we offer programs in those languages Um, that can run independent within the organization so that your boss doesn't have to speak that language, but the Ruby uh, coursework does, and all the responses and all the assessments and all the activities do as well. So that was a a pretty big um, lift for us as a company that we started working on about six or seven years ago. That's now one of the ways we're able to... um, I think just had better outcomes with learners. It's one of those things that it's like, wow, if you could provide that instruction in Arabic, <laughs> that would be a lot better for me um, because that's what I'm more comfortable learning in.
1: So um, I guess we haven't really talked that much about um, the classes themselves. And, you know, so what are some of the popular classes? And and I know you had put in, uh, you know, a while back, and this was really ahead of the curve, uh, a whole plant-based Uh, program. Um, So can you talk a little bit about some of the some of the courses and this uh, program that you have fork overnight?
0: Yeah, sure. So our on the professional chef training side, our professional cook certification, our plant based professional courses are very, very popular. We also have a um, a plant based essential vegan desserts course, which is, um, you know, taught at that professional level, a lot of the students who take that course, uh, wind up doing you know vegan uh, pastry or r and d for a plant-based food company or they have their own pop-up with their own wedding cake company and these sorts of things uh, and then we have a program called forks over knives which has been very very popular um, you know in particular because of the the large rise in awareness around plant-based eating and the health qualities of plant-based eating and forks over knives initially was actually a documentary film um, gosh 12. 15 years ago or so now um, that really kind of showed um, the medical efficacy of what going to a whole whole food plant-based diet could look like so we partnered with them to develop and uh, power their online cooking school which is really designed to take those learners who you know in many cases are not foodies right these are not people who came to food out of love they came to food because they had a a medical event, they had a trauma or a trigger, or they learned something that bothered them or whatever it was, but they're not coming because of like, you know, (laughs) wanting a a top 10 list or, you know, the best recipe for this lentil loaf or whatever, they came because like, they kind of had to come. Their doctor said, you know, you're sick and you have to do something about this. So we recognize that one of the big barriers in this conversation around food and health Is that there are a lot of people who are saying, well, you know, if you have this condition or if you have these conditions, eat these foods as if those foods just magically appear and they exist on your plate and that those foods are transformed into something that tastes good. So the idea of like eating more broccoli is pretty abstract to a lot of people. Like, what does that actually mean? And part of the impetus around forks over knives and other similar courses that we built was to really think about the culinary part and to say with all these food recommendations, what is it that you actually have to do in real life to make that food appear on your plate in a way that's gonna make sense for you and your family and your taste buds so that you have a fighting chance of actually eating these foods. It's not enough just to know you should eat them. You you gotta make the effort and the activity to actually cook them and eat them. (laughs) So that's really where we focus on that course is taking all these foods, this notion of like eat more broccoli and we elaborate upon it so that people who go through that 90 day intensive online immersion with us come out the other end, knowing how to cook lots of different vegetables and lots of different ways and knowing how to build flavor and make foods taste good and or as they want um, to work on things like portion size and batch cooking and being inspired by flavors from around the world and lots of different things so that. We really see a transformation of that individual. They oftentimes come in saying, "Gosh, I only like three vegetables. I had bad experiences eating whole grains. Um, here's the things I won't eat." And at the end of the course, they're like, "Wow, you know, if you roast cauliflower at a high temperature and get it crispy, that's fantastic, right?" <laughs> they never had that before. So that's what we're able to do. And of course, like forks over knives, is is really turn people onto cooking. By activating what's inside of them, like their own ability to stand and to do it and to taste it, to say, wow, I'm going to make a judgment of if I like that and if I don't like it, what do I do to fix it? Do I add acid? Do I add fresh herbs? What do I do? Or if I love it, how do I bring it into my regular repertoire to like make it faster, make it easier so I can batch it, freeze it, reheat it, whatever it might be? And it's those, it's those real life... Um, Solutions that we see in forks over knives that just have incredible, incredible stories behind them. The, the the stories of 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 health and lifestyle transformation that we get from those students are just incredible. Um, and we've had we've had over thirty thousand students do that forks over knives program. So the community is quite large. They're very supportive, um, and you know the results of their transformation, not just in terms of the knowledge, like why I should eat it, but the transformation of the activity of cooking is really, really profound for those people.
1: So another initiative that you have uh, brand new is uh, Pull Up a Chair. Um, So tell me about that, um, what it's doing, where, you know, and where you hope to take
0: it. Yeah. So the Pull Up a Chair um, initiative is uh, part of our live event series. And um, we had a handful of team members who were you know, in constant con- uh, in constant uh, conversation with us about how do we how do we improve Ruby? How do we make Ruby better, more reflective of what the industry um, is talking about, what we need, and more diverse? So, um, Adante Hart, who's our health programs manager, um, just an amazing leader on our team who has a background as a registered dietitian and a master's in public health, and does a lot of work in in foodways education and diabetes education. And uh, Aaron Zarahoon, who works on our enterprise team, who helps with our enterprise success, all the setup and all the support for those big hotel partners that we work with. So Adante and Aaron and others really developed the program, kind of came to me and others and said, hey, we have these ideas. We have an idea for a speaker series to do live web events to talk about critical issues. And I was just really um, so impressed and so um, excited by it that uh, we built out that speaker series. We're, um, we're in season one right now, we're planning a second season with some additional speakers. And really the idea is to bring to the forefront uh, important, oftentimes tough conversations about race and gender and equity and labor and uh, and food And, you know, what is the role of Ruby in providing leadership and direction in that? And then who do we bring to the table to create a more robust, honest, uh, useful conversation about that? So I've just been so, um, you know, so humbled and so impressed with our team and this kind of, you know, from the ground up approach of, hey, let's really kind of leverage everyone's talent on the team and you know, bring the network in that they also can share and to leverage those individuals as the hosts and the voices of that series. And it's just been fantastic. I mean, it's been some of the most uh, inspiring live events and, you know, web, web events that we've done um, in many years. And we've been doing web events, you know, kind of like the Zoom style uh, for many years. We've published I think in the last seven years, about 900 or so of those web events. So these in particular have me pretty excited because of, um, because of the team behind it and because of the the type of content that we're able to publish.
1: So, you know, we talked a little bit about plant-based and how at one point that was a trend and now it's just really pervasive. So um, what are some trends that you're seeing now?
0: Yeah, I think... Um, the continuation of plant-based and the evolution of plant-based I would say for sure is something that we're looking at very closely. I think that, you know, a lot of plant-based for the hospitality and the culinary industry for food service uh, initially and you could argue maybe still today is focused on you know meat analogs and who's got the best burger or whatever it might be and you know all those sorts of plant-based food products and we're definitely seeing um, Adoption of those things, but we're also seeing a shift more towards um, you know, whole foods and using actual vegetables and actual plant based foods to form the basis of those meals, um, in part because of inflation and rising costs of food and going back to the basics. It's just, um, you know, you can't argue against what it costs to buy dry lentils by the pound and turning it into your own plant-based patty versus going and buying some other product at like a, a beef or even above the cost of beef type price point. So we're really seeing, I think, people going back to those basics and saying, wow, what does it look like to cook more plant-based from the pantry, starting with whole grains and beans and vegetables in their most unprocessed state and um, applying you know some technique and some skill to processing those foods so that they taste better. Um, and that's really where we're seeing a lot of the a lot of the shifts on that side. Uh, we're also seeing a really, I think, a big increase in people interested in um, just kind of overall what does the future of food look like and food service look like, and what are the new skills people need to be successful in that world? So, um, not just technical cooking skills, but what are those? dispositions or that knowledge base? What does that look like? What are the other things that you might need to know, whether it's communications or media or other bases of knowledge that might be really important for uh, aspiring culinary now that might not have been important 10 or 15 years ago? Uh, those things are really, really interesting to us. We, we're we constantly seeing our students um, going out into the food world and redefining those jobs, right? They're doing pop-ups, they're doing R&D, they're doing small enterprise at home, uh, you know, blended with other sorts of things. Uh, So those are all really, really interesting. On the employer side, we're seeing just a lot of interest in solutions because it used to be that people would come in off the street with an education, with a certificate from one of the schools, and they don't see that anymore. So to the extent that we can be a partner and provide a real solution to that scenario, uh, is something that we're very much focused on and we're getting a lot of, a lot of interest in.
1: So, you know, despite the pandemic and the other challenges that the restaurant, restaurant industry is facing, so many people still are, you know, interested in pursuing culinary careers. Um, so, um, you know, how optimistic are you about, you know, based on what you're seeing and your students about the future of the restaurant industry?
0: Gosh, you know, (laughs) uh, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough industry. And the industry was really ravaged by COVID. And I think some things that are positive in the industry are going to take a long time to build back. Um, But a lot of things that I think COVID exposed that it showed are things that we shouldn't go back to things that we should probably as an industry really Make an effort to move away from and to build against. Um, so, you know, when I think about when I think about that and COVID, you know, it leaves me both kind of with that feeling of okay, there's a lot of work to do still, right? There's there's a a big hill to climb, but at that top of the hill, it's going to hopefully look a lot better than what it used to look like from a from a, a labor perspective, from an equity perspective, from representation, for even just you know, who has access to start a restaurant? How do we get more small independent restaurants off the ground to reinvigorate neighborhoods and create micro enterprise within neighborhoods? Um, You know, I I think the solution is not going to be, you know, corporatizing restaurants around the country and turning every, you know, neighborhood corner into the same kind of culinary landscape. That's not gonna be supportive long-term of what people want or what people need in terms of the industry. Um, so I'm I'm optimistic, but I also recognize it's going to take just a lot of a lot of change, still a lot of um, a lot of movement, and that's that's not going to be easy because as many people who want to get into the industry, there's still the reality of um, of the hard work, the long hours, you know, typically lower type pay than in under, you know other industries. So it really has to be born from a passion and from a feeling of you know, developing a team and community and serving the community. And, you know, those are gonna be really important driving forces moving moving forward.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you.